Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part, a Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons, Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Friesen, and Bill Hostler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And let us introduce ourselves as our host. My name is Greg Knott. I'm Bill Hostler. And I'm Darren Laners. And tonight we have our special guest, Joe Martinez, and we're excited to have Joe with us. Joe's out on the East Coast, I believe, in Virginia, and so we're going to get to know Joe a little bit and talk all kinds of things about his involvement in Freemasonry and some of the groups and events he's been involved with. So, Joe, welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you so much, Brother Greg. Just to warn everyone, I'm going to be fangirling because uh, I think I'm fans of all three of you on uh, social media, and I don't think any of us have met in person before. Actually, that almost seems to be the norm anymore. I know all kinds of people virtually, you know, not to sidetrack too much, but even at work, we finally had an in-person gathering recently, and there was probably half the people I've spent a year and a half speaking with, I'd never met them in person. And uh, I had one of them looking at me, she goes, yeah, that's me. I said, oh, okay, sometimes you look different on the Zoom than you do in person, and uh, so it was kind of funny. It's uh, We talked about all being in 3D, so, Joe, we hope to meet you in the real f- flesh at some point uh, here in the near future, but, again, we're just uh, really glad to have you tonight. If you don't mind, Joe, give us a little bit about your yourself, your background, and then maybe your uh, your Masonic background, and we'll go from there. Sure, absolutely. Living in Northern Virginia, been here for about about ten, eleven years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in the army for a few years, so we traveled a little bit, lived in Maryland and some other places. Uh, spent a little bit of time overseas, and before that, my wife and I uh, grew up in New York. So we're transplants from the New York area, and uh, absolutely love it down here in the, uh, the Mid Atlantic, as they call it. I have uh, three kids, a teenager, and uh, two younger boys, two big dolls. Uh, a great thing in a, in a bulldog. And uh, for my uh, day-to-day living, I am a CIO for a law firm here in D.C., uh, and I've been involved in cybersecurity and investigations uh, after I got out of the Army going on about 15 years now. And that's uh, how I make my bread and butter. Well, that's, uh, you, you know, your your employment, you know, background alone is probably a show waiting to happen given everything that's going on in the country. So I grew up, I had a great Dane. It was, it's still probably my favorite dog of all times that, that I don't know if it was like yours where that dog, despite how big it was, Midas was his name. He was always convinced he was like a pocket dog. You know, he was, (laughs) I don't think he fully understood how big he was because he, uh, he was always, you know, just a big part of our family. No, they really don't. And uh, my mine still sits on people's laps. She's uh, her name's Athena. She's 145 pounds, so she's a girl. So she's a little bit smaller than than a boy. And yeah, she'll sit on your lap. She'll sit on top of you. She has no concept of her size, and uh, she's just a, a big dummy. But I don't think I'd, I'd have it any other way. Yeah, and it's you know again the last year and a half I've I've spent more time with my dogs. I've, I've We've got three of them now. Uh, 
toy rat terrier who's about 18 that's, you know, still hanging on. We got a cavapoo that's about two years old and then we've picked up a German short hair. And so they've, they've been a lot of company and I don't know how they're going to like it when we all go back, you know, uh, to work more times and not being at home. So got some adjusting to do, I think. So, yeah. So Joe, why don't you, if you can, um, why don't we talk about your, uh, how you got involved in Freemasonry? Uh, where your lodge is, maybe some of the other uh, appendant bodies, if you're in them, that you're a part of, and just kind of take it from there. My Masonic journey is definitely a bit interesting. I, um, I'm not a pedigree Mason. I didn't have Masonry in my family growing up, and I guess you could say I, I probably consider myself a, a Dan Brown Mason, quote-unquote. Um, I joined the craft in 2003, and I was still in the military in Maryland, and I joined uh, Lowell Reef Lodge, number 149, in Lowell, Maryland. That was right next to the military base where I was stationed. And, again, I, uh, I was interested in things like Dan Brown, and I started to pick up some other books that were more closely tied to Freemasonry, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. And I finally took the plunge and knocked on a door, and somebody opened it, and uh, I started my journey to become a Freemason. So I, I did the traditional uh, path that... Lots of people do where, you know, I got the degrees and in Maryland is a catechism state, so I'd have to learn my catechism and my proficiency and then move on. And because of my traveling and being in the military full-time, uh, it took me probably about a year between each degree. So I was raised in 2005. And uh, my very first meeting, walking into the lodge, very excited, and uh, I got to go to a stated meeting. The very first meeting, I walked in and... Uh, they did the opening ritual and uh, read some letters and paid some bills, and um, that was it. And then they closed and went home. And I, I turned around and said, what the hell is this? And uh, they said, no, this is great. This is you know, a state meeting, and you know, this is what we do. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I tried to push it out of my mind and went to the very next state meeting. And basically the same thing happened. We read some letters. We paid some bills. And we went home, and everybody was enthused and excited about it, and I was losing my mind. I was like, what did I just join? I'm like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. So I, I held on for a little bit longer, and then uh, I don't remember who, who the officers were at the time. It's been so long. But uh, one of them asked me if I wanted to get involved, and I said, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. You know, how can I get involved and do more and learn more and know more? And uh, so they asked me to be Tyler. And I said, wait a minute, that's, that's the guy who sits outside, right? And they said, yeah. I'm like, so you want me to sit outside for the meetings? They said, yeah. I said, okay, well, um, it's going to be tough because uh, I don't know what I'm doing, number one. And number two, I'm still in the military. So it's going to be kind of hard to commit. So I'll, I'll cut out all the negative bits. But long story short, I got very disenfranchised very early on with what I had seen of the craft so far. And I don't think it was anybody's fault. I think it was just... That's the way things had been done, but it definitely shattered my my preconceived notions of what I thought Freemasonry was. And after a few months, I, I basically stopped going. Uh, I stopped going to meetings. Uh, I still paid my dues, and Freemasonry definitely got put on the on the back burner to the point where I pretty much forgot that I was a Freemason. I wasn't involved with it at all, and uh, this is the you know late two thousands. Yeah, it, it really had no no bearing on on what I was doing day to day in my life. And fast forward uh, a few years later, 
Uh, we had since moved down to Virginia. I had gotten out of the military. We had a couple of kids, moved a couple of times. And I was uh, driving home from D.C. And I lived, at the time, I lived about uh, 30 minutes west of Washington, D.C. But um, that's by the crow flies. But uh, if you uh, have ever been in, in D.C. traffic, you know that that's a two to three hour drive home during rush hour. So I was sitting in, in the car during rush hour and I didn't feel like sitting on the highway anymore. So I felt one day, just for funnies, to, to take the, the back roads back home. And I drove through the town of Manassas. And uh, I was stopped at a stoplight. Obviously, many stoplights taking the back roads. And uh, I was stopped at a stoplight, and all of a sudden, I saw a light on on the right-hand side, and I saw a Masonic temple. Wow, that's cool. I hadn't seen a, a temple or a lodge in a very long time. And uh, so I, I looked a little bit further, still stuck at this red light, and I saw the lights were on inside. And I said, wow, that's crazy. So I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I pulled into the parking lot, and I saw there were cars in the parking lot, and I walked in. And uh, introduced myself and said, hey, I'm Joe, I'm Mason, and uh, I haven't been in a lodge in probably <laughs> seven or eight years. And uh, I walked in, and I can't tell you, maybe maybe you gents have experienced this, but I felt such a feeling of being home when I walked into this building. The brothers there were, they, it, was a, it was a practice night. It was a Monday night, and they were there for ritual practice. And the brothers that were there just welcomed me instantly, and I had this sense that I really felt like I was home and that I belonged. And, um, yeah, so that kind of sparked my interest in, in Freemasonry again. Uh, I jumped in with both feet uh, this time around, and the fellowship and the interest that these brothers had kind of renewed my sense in, in why I was interested in Freemasonry in the first place. They were interested in education. They were interested in learning more. They were interested in having philosophical discussions. And these were brothers, you know, they weren't guys that were my age. They were guys that were older and younger and, and a good mix of everything in between. And, again, I can't harp on enough that feeling of, of belonging that I had just, just from walking through the door. So it really turned a corner for me when it came to uh, wanting to be a Freemason again and wanting to participate. And like I said, I'm, I'm not kidding. I jumped in with both feet. I uh, became a member at that lodge uh, fairly quickly. I uh, started to join a whole plethora of dependent bodies, um, much more so than, than I would admit to my wife. Uh, but I joined every damn thing that there was. I got in line. And, uh, and yeah, and that that's pretty much been, been my journey uh, to Freemasonry. Terms of what I'm a member of now, like I said, I'm pretty much a member of everything: uh, Royal Arch Council, Commandery, Scottish Rite, AMD, all those weird bodies that you hear of at Masonic Week. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a joiner now, and uh, you know I have the dues cards to prove it. But you know I was just so thirsty to get back into Freemasonry and learn more about ritual and learn about all the different things that you could learn in Freemasonry that I couldn't say no to anything that was that was placed before me, and. Uh, so I guess that's where I'm at now on my journey. I, I consider myself a uh, born-again Freemason uh, because I, I did have that big gap uh, where I wasn't interested in it at all. And I would definitely consider myself a joiner where I'm still, I've still got that thirst for wanting more. And that's what's been carrying me these last few years. Well, that's, you know, your your beginnings of, of a Freemason uh, as you joined. Unfortunately, I think that experience is probably the norm more times than not the amazing thing was just that fate of luck turn off that side road and 
seeing that literally that light on and, and walking through that door and re-sparking things again. So that's, I think it's really an amazing story. And it's just, isn't it funny how fate on one little thing, you know, you decide to, like I say, take that side road and uh, it uh, rekindled your interest and got you going again. And I think what you said, walking through that door, making you feel welcome is the complete difference about brothers that go through their three degrees and experience what you did the first time versus, you know, wanting to come back because they feel welcome and appreciated and, you know, and hopefully finding what they were seeking when they knocked on our doors uh, to begin with. And, you know, Darren and I and Bill and I, we've talked about this kind of thing in previous episodes, but how you feel when you come to those meetings is completely why you come back again. And uh, I remember the first meeting I went to, a friend of mine, were driving home, we're like, well, that's it? Because it was kind of the same thing, you know, somebody reading the mail to you and, you know, paying the bills and worrying about the a sign, which I won't go into that. It's a long-running joke about a sign we talked about for three years. But just, you know, just irrelevant stuff. And somehow I, I hung on, and, and, and what I'm going to ask, you know, Darren to, and Bill to weigh in with you, though, is, and what I want to talk about is that, that change we've started to see. Because I think you're right. I came in in 07, just a little bit behind you. And I think that that time period was the beginning of hopefully a transformation. You know, like you say, the Dan Brown stuff and all that was coming. But the esoteric part, the education part, and, and some of the things we'll get into as we go through the interview, were just at the beginning of coming Around, I think, you know, the, the Internet had a lot to do with it about connecting people like we're connected here tonight. But I think things have started to change and uh, not fast enough, in my opinion, but I think uh, we're on the track. So let me give it to Darren and uh, ask him to weigh in a little bit, because I know he's had some of these same experiences you talked about, Joe, but uh, ask him to, uh, for some comments. Yeah, I have them about every meeting, it seems, sometimes, unfortunately. So I guess let's let's just start, Joe, and talk about Masonic education, and then we'll segue kind of into uh, the kind of beginnings of the quote-unquote Masonic Con, and then talk a, a little bit about Esotericon and, and how that kind of came, came about. So I think that you already alluded to it, that uh, a lot of us join... Freemasonry looking for something, looking for, I guess, you know, knowledge or information or maybe the, the meaning of life or help or help to, you know, understand what this life is about. And, uh, we, we go to our first date, as you said, and it's nothing but just. Uh, reading the minutes, reading communication, paying the bills, and out the door you go. Or uh, you sit and you argue about, as Greg alluded to, a sign or the building repairs or something trivial for an hour and a half. And then, you know, the, oh, it's time for education. Everybody's crabby, so you forego it. And that's your, your stated meeting. So I guess... The first question would be, in your mind, why is Masonic education important? So to answer your question, I want to go back to one of the first things that you mentioned, talking about the reasons why people join. 
And I, I thought uh, the first time around, uh, since I'm a quote unquote born again Mason, I thought that everybody joined because they were seeking this or seeking light or seeking knowledge or, or seeking the same thing that I was. But I've learned as I've gotten older and have been in the craft more that traditionally people don't join for the same reasons, right? Because we, you know, and I'm going to get on and off my soapbox very quickly, but we kind of muddled our identity in, in what the craft is. And, and what I mean by that is we, we try to be too many things to too many different people. We try to be a big social club or we try to be a big charity or we try to be a big place for uh, fraternal gatherings or we try to be a mystery school. And we try to appease everybody and try to do all of those things as much as possible that we unfortunately lost our identity, right? We don't know what we are anymore because we try to be all these things to all these people. So a long way to answer your question in saying that what Masonic education is to me uh, is definitely going to be different than, you know, somebody who came into the craft 20 years ago or 30 years ago or even, or even two years ago. Uh, and I think Greg alluded to that before when he talked about how the digital age really has transformed how people consume information, how people get information, how people voir dire information and, and verify what's what's good and what's not, or, or even if they do that or not, because they're just bombarded with so much data and information that it's hard to sift through what's what's real and what's not. But the short answer is that I, I think that Masonic education for me is learning about those virtues and learning about those parts of our ritual that that we can actually actualize and put into practice that make us a little bit of a better person, you know, day after day or, or time after time. And, you know, hopefully what you end up with at the end of the journey is, you know, something that's a bit more polished and a bit more something to be proud of than, than you were the day before. That's that's what I look for when I when I talk about Masonic education. You know, it's funny, Joe. You were talking about how people come for different reasons and they join Mason. I can honestly say I knew nothing about the craft when I first joined. Since I'm a little bit older and my parents were older than most people who have parents my age. You know, they were born in the 20s and grew up in the depression. And so most of their friends were older than well, my friends is from parents. And so I remember them come, their friends coming to the house. So I remember some of them you know, wearing rings. And, you know, later on, I kind of realized, you know, you were either, it was either a Masonic ring or it was a Scottish Rite ring. I, I didn't know from Adam what they were at the time. And I remember my, one of my parents, his friends, was a Shriner and he was a member of the Horse Patrol and he kept his, his horse trailer at our place. And, I, the only thing I thought about was it was fun to play in while nobody was knowing about it. But I, the only thing my parents ever told me about masonry was is that it was expensive and you had they didn't just take anybody, which kind of makes me laugh because they took me. So that's really kind of a misnomer. But the thing that really enticed me to join was I had a great uncle. He was probably the most famous person in our family of legal you know, other than a horse thief or someone convicted felon or something, but he was a member of the Untouchables back in the 20s, one of the people who helped take down the phone. And, you know, he had this whole long list, uh, laundry list of things that he'd accomplished. And he was a professor at Indiana. He helped start the Indiana State Police. I mean, he'd done all these things. 
But the one thing that she used to talk about the most was is that he's a thirty second he was a thirty second degree Mason. And she would say that with such a look of pride in her eye. And I used to think, you know, someday I think I'm gonna do that just for her. I mean, sadly I did it once she passed away, but I always like to think that she knew that I'd done that just for her. But I had zero idea about what Masonic education was. I didn't even know it existed until I got in. And my first meeting, I was lucky at my mother-in-law's. They had a, such a fantastic group of brethren. It may be hard to believe, but I tend to be pretty social. And so we, you know, they were pretty social, so we all got along really well. But once I found out about Masonic education, I fell in with this group on the Internet, and they Eventually, we all call ourselves the Knights of the North, and, and that's how I ended up getting involved in Masonic education, and that's how I'm still into it today. And it's weird how you might join for one thing, but you end up totally coming in for something else. You know, once I finally got into Masonic education, I've always been a lover of history, and that's what enticed me to really get into it. But now that I'm a little older and I'm starting to really get into craft, I, I am starting to dabble a little bit into symbolism and things like that. I've been working on the Master Craftsman's program through the Scottish Rite. It does interest me. So it's, it's definitely something that you, there's something for everybody and there might be several things. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, that's a great story. And, uh, I think I'm in your boat too because, uh, my story growing up, my dad, uh, was a World War II veteran. He was born in the 1920s and, uh, he was in World War II. My dad, uh, my mom was a lot younger than him. And that's, that's a story for another podcast. But, uh, he was not a Mason. I, I know of no other Masons in my background, but, but yeah, just, uh, you just, uh, clicked something in me because when, when my friends would come over, my dad was the same age as everybody else's grandparents, all, all my peers. So yeah, I had, I definitely had a lot of older people in the house. Um, but yeah, none of them ever had, uh, as, as far as I can remember, uh, ties to Freemasonry or, or talked about it and things like that. So my, my experience with it, was, you know, just what I read or what I learned and things like that. But it's, it's pretty much the same as, as what you described when I actually knocked on the door of a lodge. I didn't know what I was getting into. But to your point, I, there, there's something, I think what, what spurred my desire for something more and where I reached that sense of disappointment was, at least in my jurisdiction way back when, once you got your degrees and you started to learn your catechisms and stuff, right after you received your degree, you got your booklet of the degree. But what, what I was also given, and I, and it's a shame we don't do this anymore in a lot of jurisdictions. I was given, uh, Carl Claudie's books. I'm sure you guys have heard of them or seen them or own them. Uh, but each of his degree books. So when I got my AA degree, I was given Claudie's Entered Apprentice book and I read through that and I thought it was the most amazing and interesting book I had ever read in my life. And, you know, it was just packed with symbolism and all this amazing stuff. And I'm like, I think I remember some of this stuff during the degree, but I don't. And then I got his fellow craft book and that was even better. And then I got the Master Mason one and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get to learn about all this awesome stuff next time I go to lodge. And then, you know, that just compounded the the sense of disappointment when I when I walked into my first stated meeting. But I knew there had to be something more to it going through Carl Claudie's books, which I think is a shame that we don't hand them out to candidates, uh, I'm sorry, or uh, initiates uh, more regularly. Those books, uh, actually Darren was with me. I picked them up in an antique shop in Nauvoo, Illinois, and have read through them. And they're, you know, they're quick reads. They're they're nice and short and succinct, but they give you, Joe, as you said, a lot of information. 
And, of course, he wrote them with the idea to do what exactly what they did for you, Joe, and that was to spark interest and to say, well, what was this I just went through? What did I do? What happened to me? And, uh, of course, I think, you know, Darren mentioned education that I want to drill down on here a little bit, but that's <clears throat> it's like that's the, the drop-off point. You know, it's you go through the three degrees. They're exciting. You know, they're usually well executed. And, you know, when you first come through, you're like, God, this is what it is. Wow, that's great. Because your only experience at that point is degrees, not business meetings. And uh, and Carl Claudia in those books, you know, he's making a point to say, well, understand what you just went through and how you apply it and what the, the symbolism means and, and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, so and digging deeper. But so, Joe, to Darren's point about education, where does it fit in with masonry? I mean, like you said, we try to be so many things to so many people, but I think at least in our little group here, we've all got an interest in education. How do you see that as a core benefit or a primary function of Freemasonry? Well, I think that it, I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible, because I'm a very opinionated person. Uh, so I, I, I definitely want to be, uh, you know, more germane with my comments, but for me, Masonic education plays a big important role in your journey through the craft if you already had a good foot forward in your journey to the craft. And what I mean by that is going back to what I said before about, well, we try to be a social club or we try to be a charity or we try to be a fraternal organization or we try to be a place where you get away from your wife and kids and go have a cigar with the guys or you know, all these different things we want to make our primary purpose. But I think at the end of the day, the reason why we're struggling with our identity is because we've either forgotten or we've not placed an emphasis on the fact that you take all the other stuff aside, the charity, the, the social aspect, the fraternal aspect, um, you take all those and you put them off to the side. While they are important, I don't think they're our primary focus. In my, my opinion and what our primary focus is, is that at the end of the day, we're an initiatic school. We're a school meant to take a person, whatever, wherever they start in life, uh, by knocking on that door and taking them through a very particular set of ritual to walk them through the path of initiation. Just in the classical sense, going back to the Western mystery schools and, you know, all the weird, creepy, esoteric holes that you can go down. They all had the same intent. You take the person you were and you shed those really crappy parts of your life or the parts that don't make you the best person you can possibly be. And you learn with other people how to become that better person. So hopefully at the end of your path, you are a little bit better than you were the day before. And I think that's what the primary goal of Freemasonry is. And all those ancillary things come as a natural byproduct of trying to be that better person. If you try to be a better person every day, you're going to be more charitable as, as just a natural extension. You're going to be more involved in the social aspects of those brothers that, that are around you that you cherish and you care for and you love. You know, I know, uh, most of you know Ben Wallace. He talks about, you know, the, the use, the term of the word love when it comes to male bonding. And it's such a persnickety subject for people, right? You know, but I can truly say that when I walk into Lodge, I genuinely love every single person that that's that I'm there with because I've learned to be comfortable and understand what the, what that true sense of love means. 
So then you can be a more social person. You can be a more charitable person. You'll want to be more fraternal as a result because you're building a relationship with a core group of people that you actually care for and you know at the end of the day they actually care for you. So the short answer to your question is I think Masonic education does play a primary role if you all start from the same premise of why did I knock on the door of Freemasonry? It's to be initiated on a path to be better than the person I was yesterday. So I think some of those other things you mentioned, the charities and whatnot, if you think it, it that's the applied piece, but to to really get the full benefit of the applied piece, you really need to do the earlier part of that, and that that is the understanding what you went through in that school of transformation that you reference, and part of that is the education and, and things like that. Joe, let's talk about how you became involved with Esotericon. This was, I think, your is it your third or fourth Esotericon? Third. Third, yeah. So Greg and I went out to the 300th celebration the Masonic Roundtable put on uh, in Alexandria in 2017. And then I think you started Esoteric on the the very next year. No, I, I actually went to 300 as well. Oh, you know, we probably saw each other and passed each other in the hall and didn't yes. even know it. I mean, and I, I mean, I, I'm sure I met all of you. I was just fangirling at everybody that, that I, I got to meet there. I mean, that was a whirlwind event. I actually, we, we got the idea, you know, myself and uh, the three other bros, we got the idea for Esotericon when most of us, uh, myself and John and Jason, the TMR guys, uh, went to Masonicon in Attleboro in 2018. And I, I believe that was their second second one or third one, but they had been doing Masonicon, and Masonicon was basically a local event uh, held by the brothers at Ezekiel Bates Lodge in Attleboro, Massachusetts, but I heard about it, I think I was listening to RJ's show, and I heard about it, and I said, that sounds super awesome, I want to go, and uh, so I just hopped on a plane and went, and I had such an amazing weekend. I got to meet brothers from all over the world, got to hear some cool talks, met the guys at, at Ezekiel Bates, and... Uh, and knew that this was a, a platform that, you know, could be exploited for, for other things. Now, Ezekiel Bates and, and Brian will always tell you that the point of Masonicon was to spur interest in Freemasonry. So it was open to the public. And they had, you know, hundreds of people walking in and out of that beautiful temple uh, all day long that weekend. And, you know, they had vendors. They had uh, people having side discussions. They had programs and presentations and uh, a fantastic festive board that was open to all. So they, they touched on all the different aspects of Freemasonry and they just wanted to basically highlight Freemasonry in that area. And it kind of blew up into this uh, national level phenomenon by, by the third year. So that's where I got involved. But I came back down and um, myself and John and Jason and another brother, Kevin, who were all locals in Virginia, who kind of thought the same way and had the same opinions on, on Masonic education in general. And, uh, we all came back down here and we said, we need to do something like this for us. And, you know, if we branded it more with an esoteric flair than just general masonry or getting people involved in masonry, we think it could be something special. But I'm going to, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, we had no grandiose plans of, of you know, putting on a, a conference that had people from all over the world coming. It was basically four guys who said, if I was in charge for a day, what kind of things would I want to hear and what kind of 
presentations did I want to listen to and who did I want around me for that. And that basically spawned Esotericon, right? We wanted a conference that was focused mostly on esoteric topics. Not all of them have to be Masonic, but you know, for those that read about esoteric topics more, you see that there's definitely some synergies with other groups, other orders, other ways of thinking. It all comes from basically the same stream of consciousness, no matter where you are anywhere in the world. But that's what we wanted to put together. So we reached out to speakers and we started to plan an event together. And at the end of the day, I have no shame in saying this. If we got 20 people to come with all these speakers and we spent a day with 20 friends, we were going to consider that a success because that's what we were going for. Now, what happened was the exact opposite. We sold out the, sh- the event. Um, we kept selling tickets because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So we were definitely over capacity. So if anybody's a fire marshal, you didn't hear that. And we packed up my, my lodge in Manassas with about 150 people who came to spend the day with us, listen to amazing speakers, all of whom were Masonic that first year, uh, just talking about stuff that they were interested in. And I can't explain to you the feeling that we had after that weekend was over of just getting to spend time talking with brothers that we had never met before and listening to some of the most amazing presentations I had ever heard of that basically redefined what Masonic education was for me. And just sharing in that that shared experience that we're all getting what we want out of masonry, even if we're not doing it inside of a lodge room, um, I, I guess is the best way I can describe how that how that came about. And uh, you know, three years later, it's it's still going. You know what it illustrates to me, demonstrates to me is you get an idea, you find some other people that share that idea, you put forth some effort, uh, you put a plan together. And you make it happen. And just think how you describe that. It, it really, it wasn't complex. You just decided to, let's do it. Let's, let's put some thought and effort behind it. Then all of a sudden, boom, you've got, like you say, a building full of people from all over the world with those same interests. And I, I think what it, outside of the content, what it, it shows me is if we put effort into this thing, and this thing being Freemasonry, we can make it what we want. And you've demonstrated that. Attleboro has demonstrated that. RJ has demonstrated that and others. And then the demand is there for this kind of work. And I think what it does, and, uh, you know, as I hear you describe, it's like, oh, Darren, we need to be doing this in Illinois somewhere. But what it does, I think it inspires more people to think about doing these things, not just attending them, but saying, you know, maybe we could be a catalyst in our area. Uh, to do it because it's an event that's I think it's going to have to happen outside of your normal lodge operation because you get bogged down in the, the stuff we've already talked about and you make it special and all of a sudden it is it creates that atmosphere Joe that you described that's like oh yeah you know I want more of that I want to do that again I met people we had all these like interests or you know shared experiences and that feeling you walk away with is almost undescribable, you know, and, and, and what it accomplishes. I felt that when Darren and I went to DC for the 300th, it's just being in that room with all those people, you know, and I consider these are all high caliber people because people that are going to go to these things are to me, well-intentioned. They want to learn, they want to grow, they're motivated. And these are the kind of people I want to be around. And I think this is what we want our fraternity to be. 
I just think so many people, so many lodges don't necessarily know where to do that. And here you've illustrated, said, you know, look, I'm going to dig in and make this happen. And so kudos for that. And then just the topics you picked as I was looking through your webpage on the 21 version, your speaker lineup was just outstanding. It really was. And you made it sound so well executed. It was it was crazy. It was a nightmare. We had no idea what we were doing, but we were having fun along the way and we didn't care. So, you know, if, if you can throw your sense of accomplishment out the window, you'll have a much better time. And then, <laughs> so, you know, definitely being in our third year and having to deal with COVID the last the last two of them, you know, we've definitely become better better organizers when it comes to to something like this because that first year was just it was honestly a hot mess i can't describe it in any other way but it was the best hot mess i've ever uh been a part of in probably my entire life it was just such a worthwhile experience and you know and the amazing thing is is people didn't want to leave you know people would go to a presentation and then they'd sit outside and talk about that same presentation or talk to somebody that they never met before but you to your point greg you were all there sharing in an experience that you wanted to participate in, right? It wasn't your, you didn't have a whole bunch of different types of Masons. You had basically one type of Mason and non-Masons, but they were all there to share a very particular experience and it really bonded everyone together. I mean, I've made friendships at that first Esotericon that are going to last me a lifetime and I know that. So that was, it was probably the most worthwhile part of it. But, but that shared experience that you were talking about, uh, especially when you, referred to you and Darren going to the 300, I think that shared experience is something that's missing in lodges. Again, because we, we water everything down and we try to just do the bare minimum, or many places do, not all. There are some lodges that are doing what I think is is the true work in masonry in a very successful way, but not all of them. If that was the case, you know, we wouldn't be, you know, our numbers would not be dwindling. But are we dwindling or are we refining? Um, I think I asked you five rhetorical questions in, in my response, so I'll shut up. You know, honestly, it's tough to say because, you know, we are refining. The sad thing that gets me is, is we bring these young brethren in. And just like Joe said, one of his first, you know, meetings in Maryland, you know, we read the minutes, we had some cold coffee and a couple of bologna sandwiches, we went home. I'm to get home before Murder She Wrote comes on at nine. You know, I haven't seen Murder She Wrote. I've only seen that 30 times now. But, you know, and so after a couple months, they just go, they quit going. And that's the thing that bothers me the most. Is if you don't, if you stop and think, and I've tried to write this before, but I'm just not eloquent enough to put down on paper. If all these brethren who get frustrated throw up their hands and quit, or to stay and use that vote that they got as a master mason, either in the lodge or the grand lodge, to make it affect the changes that everyone says that they want in this community. But every time they quit, they're letting the people who have always done it this way win. And it just it frustrates me to no end. So we could be refining, but we're not. We're just kind of just wasting away. But I know eventually we will win out. We have to because the numbers will. We're going to be younger. Well, hopefully I'm going to win, be there time. But you know, young brethren like Joe, well, even Darren. I mean, he's still fairly young. You know, you're first looking at all that brain is weird. But you know, these younger brethren are going to have what they want. 
And I, they just have to be patient and do what they have to do. But we're going to, you know, they're going to win out. So they are refining. But you know, the problem we have is not every man wants education. We all know that. And that's fine. There's, you know, if the guy wants to be a cook and wants to cook a good supper for the brother, let him cook. If he doesn't want to, wants to be part of the education. If a brother wants to learn ritual, let him do ritual. If a brother wants to, you know, if he likes pounding nails, let him work on the building. Quit pitching holing everybody and saying, oh, you have to be in the education or you have to listen to the minutes and state of meeting. Put the people to use where they want to be. Make this not an all or nothing. And then I think we will keep these people and we will be refining and we will keep the numbers at the same time. But we have to be smart about it. And to quote Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, that's a, that's an interesting thought that, that you bring up, Brother Bill, and, and I will definitely chime in on that. I think that I, I'm always an optimist and say that we're refining. Uh, I mean, we, it's gotten to the point where the MSA and A does not even post numbers anymore, right? Because they're below a million and we are, we are, everybody here knows we're losing more members either through death, attrition, or just non-payment of dues more than we're bringing new members in. Now, when I say that we're refining, that's a double-edged sword, right? We're, we're losing people more than we're bringing them in, but it's definitely because we're bringing in different people than we brought in before, right? And I think I think it's a generational thing because at the end of the day, myself and you and Greg and Darren, we're talking about the same things that Paul wrote about and that Mackie wrote about and that Desiglier wrote about. You know, the, the you know what what should be the focus in Freemasonry? So it's not it's not a new conversation that we're having. So I think it, it definitely is a generational thing, but. To, to answer your, your comment, Brother Bill, I have to ask, what is it that makes us different from the Elks or the Moose or the Kiwanis Club or the Knights of Columbus? Because I do think we're different than those other organizations. I'm not a member of any of those other organizations because that's on all my chips in the, in the Masonic hat. But I have to ask myself, what is the difference between us and all of these other fraternal organizations? And I think that the big differentiator is our ritual, right? So we, we have a very prescribed ritual that's very similar in all our jurisdictions. You know, we all subscribe to the same allegory and legend. And it's not just there for dramatic effect, right? It's meant to teach us a lesson. So if we can walk that journey in a very well done way, like, like Brother Greg said, and be taken through that path, hopefully we've learned a lesson or two along the way and start to incorporate that into our lives. So if we've done that, then to me that's that's the success in being in being a Freemason or or having a career as a Freemason is trying to achieve some level of success. You know, and by that I don't mean do you get a white hat or, you know, a ring with a 33 on it or, you know, the really shiny things at York Right? Because those are, those are nice to haves, but they're not requirements, right? For me, it's, it, it's honestly that simple question of, do I really believe that I act better or think better or feel better than I did the day before? And, and do I impress that out onto the community, whether it's the kids that live in my house? Or the lodge that I walk into, or my my job when I walk in, if I if I do actually walk into a real building, or my community at large. If you can hit that checkbox at least once, then you know I think you're a quote unquote successful mason. And I think if you you do try to do that or or live it that way, 
than the education. It doesn't have to be all weird, spooky, esoteric uh, things in Latin. You know, it's it's take those tools that we place so much importance around uh, the allegories of and incorporate them into making ourselves that better person. I, I hate throwing out that bumper sticker line all the time, but you know, I truly do think that that is what it is. And again, I think the thing that that segregates us from everybody else is our ritual. So we should put a keen eye on it. Well, and, and to be honest, I'm not talking about doing away with like and not doing the esoteric. I'm not. No way am I saying not be symbolisms. The way I'm kind of like, since you're a soldier, you'll get this. But basically, you know, the ritual I'm thinking of is you bring the young men in, like say through a, a boot camp. You bring them in for the ritual. You bring them out. You and then you give them maybe a little bit more, like it's an AIT. And then you bring them in, and then they go to their regular job. You know, in, in the in the army, not every soldier is a cook. I mean, because it wouldn't be an army. Not every soldier is an infantry because somebody has to cook. Somebody has to be a quartermaster. Somebody has to you know, take care of the barracks. I mean, this, but. Each, but they usually do that by their strengths, but they're all working in together in one unit. And then, and if, it, if we all had to do the same job in the army, nothing would ever get done because, you know, you got some guy who, who can't cook, you know, he's going to point to this unit, you know, what's that old joke, the guy that killed seven, you know, killed a whole company of men who was the cook of the, uh, of the company. <laughs> you know, everybody has their strengths and we're not utilizing them. That's just a pet peeve of mine. And it's just, you know, it's just something I've thought about. It's just, you know, it takes a village and it takes a watch. It's kind of what, just so I wrote this story for the Midnight Freemasons. It's called The Chinese Bamboo Tree. I'd seen a thing about it and it, it's about planting a Chinese bamboo tree. It takes five years for this thing to grow. Every day, you, without fail, you have to water it, nurture it. You have to do all these things to prep. But it doesn't grow until the fifth year. And the sad thing is, is that there's so many people give up on these bamboo tree, but when it grows, it just goes crazy. It'll go like within the first, you know, that fifth year, it'll grow like 10, 15 feet and get really, really round and, you know, it's, it'll become a full-grown tree within that fifth year. So, but so many people give up on it and it dies in that before it gets to that maturity. And I kind of equate to a lot of our brethren do the same thing. We get young men in, they're not really, they've had encountered the same thing we all have and they give up. They don't try to change things or they take, no, we're not going to do it that way or something. They don't, they don't look for another lodge. They don't check out like it's a dependent body or they don't do any of these things that they could do to try to make a difference or to try to build or grow their own bamboo tree. They just give up and let it die. But if they were to stay, continue to nurture it, something could be grown out of it. And we would all, if we continue all of us to grow this, we all could have a beautiful forest instead of just a veritable wasteland if we continue on. I, it's just, that's what I'm just trying to say is, is that if we all, if these men would not quit, and if they would, you know, continue to work for change and continue to vote in mass to get what they want in masonry, they wouldn't have these problems with the lower numbers. They're going to get what they want, and they're not going to have to worry about the older fellas saying, well, we never done it this way, Grand Wise wouldn't like it. You know, you could have your esoteric, whatever you want. It's just, that's just, that everybody just wants to quit and throw up their hands and I want to go home and sit and watch uh, wrestling or something, but. Brother Bill, that was, you, you, you actually hit the nail on the head for me in, in 
in what you said and when you said you have to go out and plant your own tree and grow your own tree. And I think that for me was the turning point where I started to not feel defeated anymore when it came to Freemasonry because I'm definitely, I'm definitely one of your, your niche Masons, right? I'm into the weird stuff. I care about, you know, introspection and things like that. You know, I, I definitely don't label myself a social club Mason first or a dinner club Mason first. God knows I would never based on some of the meals I've had in Lodge, but you, you really hit the nail on the head when it came to what I wanted to start getting out of the craft, when I started to realize that this really is, and I think everybody needs to realize this, this is the Masonic journey is a path that you walk alone. It's just a path that you walk, going back to your military analogy, it's a path that you get to walk with other people if you so choose. But that thirst for doing something more, whether it's participating more or being a better ritualist or learning more about the ritual or getting into some of the symbolism of the craft or just being a better person in general, that really starts has to start within yourself. You're not going to get that from other people. Can you all share a similar experience together and, and raise the you know the sacredness and the solemnity of your lodge experience? My God, yeah, you absolutely can. But that that inner work starts with yourself and nobody else. Nobody can tell you to do it or or do it for you. It has to be self actualized. And again, for me, that was a turning point for me because I would, you know, I was one of those people that would yell and scream and holler and I'm like, no, this is wrong. We need to do it this way. But then I, when I, you know, instead of getting defeated and just getting disgruntled and walking away from the whole thing, I, you know, with the help of some friends that we all know, I learned that, you know, I have to do this work internally first and, and make it a core part of myself. And then all of the minutia will start to seem less important and I'll stop wasting time trying to rage against the man and just worry more about doing that in a work. And it's made me such a happier Mason as a result, because I don't care what, you know, this lodge says, or I don't care what this grand jurisdiction says. I don't care anymore. I just live and and act and hopefully be the Freemason that I want to be. And if people want to come along for the ride, great. I would love to have you. And I've got a seat warm for you. If you don't, that's okay too. So I, I really think you hit the nail on the head there. So, so thank you. Darren, are we refining or are we dwindling away? What do you think after hearing Joe and Bill? I would, I'd like to think we're refining, uh, but refinement requires that we are bringing in the right people. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, incumbent upon those of us that want to make sure that Freemasonry has a future that we're bringing in people. And when we bring them in, that we're um, making sure that they are the type of people that are going to want to not only improve themselves, but also be involved and, and be active Masons in whatever capacity that is. You know, as Bill said, I don't think that everyone is... Um, suited to be an officer and not everybody wants to be an officer in the lodge. That's okay. And I, I, I've written about how we need to stop pressuring people that don't want to be in an officer's chair to take an officer's chair. It's okay if they don't want to, you know, let them, let them define masonry for themselves. But we need to make sure that we're guarding the West Gate and we're bringing in the right to perpetuate the craft because we can all look on social media 
and uh, given any topic on any day, see where a lot of our brethren who have sat through the degrees, heard the same lessons that we have heard, do not take them to heart. And, and you know, do not practice brotherly love just because somebody is different, is a different race, is a different religion, is a different sexuality. And these are things that, you know, we think that in joining a, a liberal, forward-thinking society uh, like Freemasonry wouldn't be there, but unfortunately they are. So it's finding, not only finding the, the right people and bringing those people into the craft, but also, you know, I guess fighting the good fight, if you will, to, to fight against the people that have come in while the Westgate has been down and we just basically have had Grand Lodges grasp for whatever membership they can get. Joe, I think we're refining. I think I'm still optimistic. I don't tend to worry as much about numbers as I did 10 years ago. I think Darren's right about guarding the Westgate. I, I've always, one night, I think we, we had a lodge education on, frankly, probably the most important obligation you have as a Freemason is when you go to that ballot box and, you know, drop a black cube or a white ball and making a decision on who's going to come in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an important piece of it. I think we're refining. The numbers are going to get smaller. We threw out one number I saw this weekend. I went to a Scottish Rite event in Illinois where it was the council deliberation, which is kind of the, the meeting of all the valleys. But anyway, they had statistics of the current membership. Age 60 and older constituted 75% of the members. So here I am in my 50s, and I'm still in that first quartile of young people. And so that number tells you a lot. And so that's why I say we're definitely in a period of refinement because those numbers, I can't change those. All I can do is look forward uh, to the future and bring in people that I know can uh, benefit from some of the things we've talked about here tonight. And uh, Joe, I think that's their, I think, I think people are looking for what you were looking for when you went to that Maryland lodge and uh, didn't find it till later. And uh, some of it might be education, it might be esoteric or whatever, but they're wanting to improve themselves. That's why they knocked on the door. If you ask me, what is the purpose of Freemasonry? Well, what's our product? I said, well, you're looking at them. You know, it's all of us individually that go out and into those communities and, and, and do things with, you know, our kids in ball games and schools and workplace and all that. Because, Joe, I think you were talking about alluding to it earlier. I mean, you're making yourself better. And part of that is going to take some work. And part of that is studying the ritual. And part of that is, you know, putting yourself on a course of study that you learn uh, some of these, you know, esoteric things because they're all embedded in that ritual. And, you know, you should be asking yourself, well, what did that mean? You know, as Carl Claudia was trying to explain in those books, what does it mean? And what does it mean to me? And what it means to me may be different than it means to Darren or Joe or Bill, but I think you've got an obligation to ask, what does it mean? And then you have the further obligation to do some work and put some effort into it and to, you know, to understand it. And I think, Joe, that's with Esotericon, that's what the direction you've pointed. And as you said, you've got all of a sudden a whole room full of people 
that uh, are, are like-minded and want to do that same amount of work. Absolutely, and I think that uh, you also hit the nail on the head there with it's. I, I think that's one of the most important lessons that we, we we learn as we go through that initiatic experience, which is you have to learn how to internalize and then actualize. And then the product of that goes back to all the things that Bill said. You know, where can I take my talents and apply those and help the organization as a whole? But that that inner work has got to start first. You know, nobody's going to make you a better person except yourself. And it's a lifelong journey. You're not going to, you know, as as lovely as all three of you are and, and myself is, you know, it's a lifelong journey. So, you know, will we ever achieve that that ultimate person that we're going to be in our lifetimes? Probably not. But it's it's the journey and not the destination that's the most important thing. So I, I think Freemasonry gives us a, a path to travel and, and not a bad one at that. You know, if, if your goal is perfection, I honestly hope I never achieve it because if I did, Means I'd be out of room for growth and, and, and to be able to learn new things. And so, uh, we talk about that journey, Joe, as you said, and, you know, improvement, perfection, I suppose would be the ultimate element of that. But, uh, I hope I never get there because that means I'm stagnant and that means I have, you know, quit learning and, and that's not where, uh, I want to be. Let's. What we do, um, getting late in our hour here. So why don't we kind of wrap up? I want to go around, uh, the horn and Joe will conclude with you, but let me throw it to Darren and then Bill and then I'll come back and then we'll have some, uh, Joe ask for your, uh, kind of closing thoughts. So Bill and Darren, why don't you do a little reflection or wrap it up with Joe? Well, first of all, Joe, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on here. Uh, it's been uh, great just uh, being able to uh, to wrap with you here in our limited time. So uh, thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for taking time for us and uh, talking Freemasonry with us. Uh, we'll uh, hopefully be able to have you back because uh, I think we only addressed about half the questions I had for you. So, uh, but uh, another time, I, I just wanted to say that you, I know you were talking about us, uh, about uh, you fangirling over us. Well, I think the feeling's mutual. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I am always, always uh, humbled to, to talk to uh, brothers that I admire and, and you're one of them so uh, just thanks for uh, giving that giving me that pleasure and uh, taking time for us this evening yeah, Joe thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for putting up with my old man like ranting <laughs> yeah I try to usually keep those at a, at a minimum but tonight they just kept pouring out maybe it's because it's late for me I'm usually in bed by now but uh, thank you so much for what you do for the craft and for, well, esoterics in general. I mean, you help people discover things that they may not have known about themselves and maybe even broaden their mind and broaden into a whole new consciousness. And, and I know that you've got a long ways to go. You're going to, and this is just the beginning for you. And I also want to thank you guys just for just continuing to do these things. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, Joe, let me add my thanks as well. Uh, I'm so glad you turned off that road on that wonderful DC commute, which, uh, I've been out there a bunch of times, so I can, uh, feel you if <laughs> you got to do that every day, but I'm glad you took that side road and, and, uh, saw that light on at the Lodge of Manassas because that was the direct path. If you think of the concept of through lines, uh, that's how the four of us got to here together tonight was because 
you took that turn and saw that light. So appreciate everything you do for education because you're making an impact uh, and others that are working with you are making an impact. And to me, I think that's the most important thing we can do in masonry is make impact through some of the methods that we've uh, talked tonight. So, Joe, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, brothers, uh, I, I still haven't stopped fangirling. I mean, I, uh, I've i been reading you brothers for years. Uh, thank you so much for all the amazing content that you put out. You definitely helped shape the type of Freemason that I want to be. I mean, the words you guys threw out were way too kind. And, and like I said, it's for me, it's I, I've learned that I'm happy with the type of Freemason that I want to be. And if anybody wants to come along for the ride, I am more than happy to have you there with me. And I think that's, I think that type of going back to what brother Bill said, that type of getting in there and doing the work and doing what makes you happy is going to benefit the craft for everyone. So from the bottom of my heart, I absolutely love and cherish all three of you brothers. Thank you so much for having me. This is, this is amazing. Like I said, I, I, I look up to all three of you. And you're all role models for me. And I am so glad that you asked me to be a part of this tonight. And I hopefully get to do it again. Well, and let me thank all of our listeners uh, for tuning in to another uh, episode of Meet, Act, and Part. We do this because we like to engage with you. And uh, if you want to engage with us, you can find us on the web. You can find us on Facebook. This magic Bill Hostler has got us all over the social media. And uh, look us up and... Uh, and interact and interface with us, interact with us. And actually, if you have a show idea, leave us a comment on our Facebook page because we're always looking for uh, ideas and guests and things like that. But again, Joe and everybody else, we appreciate you joining us, and we hope you tune in again soon for another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet, act, and part. Meet, act, and part.